Today, we want to, for a few moments, just turn our attention to the thought of the strength of a church. The strength of a church. Now, I'm going to read this illustration. And there are a lot of issues with this illustration. I'm not going to preach about those issues. (laughs) But there are a lot of issues with this illustration. Uh, It begins with an elderly preacher was rebuked. By one of his deacons one Sunday morning before service. There's a lot of mess right there in that one sentence. (laughs) No deacon should think they have the right to rebuke their pastor unless he is just God awfully wrong with the scripture. And they shouldn't do it right before service. Nobody should be coming to the pastor unloading a load of stuff on any pastor right before service. Because that's all that's on his mind when he's trying to preach. Let me go on. We're not preaching about that today. <laughs> that's just, there's just a lot wrong in that first sentence. Pastor, the man said, something must be wrong with your preaching and your work. <laughs> like he's the judge of it. Uh, there's, there's been only one person added to the church in a whole year And he's just a boy. You hear something wrong with that, don't you? The minister listened. His eyes moistened and his wrinkled hands were trembling. I feel it all, he said. But God knows I've tried to do my duty. On that day, the minister's heart was so heavy as he stood before his flock. As he finished the message, he felt a strong inclination to resign. After everyone else had left, that one boy that the deacon was referring to, he came up to the pastor and he asked him, Pastor, do you think if I work hard for an education that I could become a preacher or even a missionary? One day, again, his eyes welled up with tears, the pastor, that is. And he said this, he said, oh, this heals the ache I have. He said, Robert, I see the divine hand now. May God bless you, my boy. Yes, I think you will become a preacher. (laughs) You know, many years later, an aged man, an old missionary, returned to London from Africa. His name was spoken with reverence. Nobles invited him into their homes. He had added many souls to the kingdom of God reaching even some of Africa's most savaged chiefs. His name was Robert Moffat. The same Robert who years before had spoken to this pastor. Lord, help us to be faithful. And then let us give the results or leave the results up to God. This deacon had no, no, no 
spiritual discernment. If he had, he would have known that faithfulness, not numbers, is what makes a church strong. So often we look at numbers to determine the strength of a church, but it's not numbers that determines just how strong the church is. And in today's text, the Apostle Paul, he helps us to identify the very thing that strengthens the church. If we look here in verses 1 through 5 in 2 Thessalonians in chapter 1, the Bible says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds toward one another or each other. So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. This is God's holy word. Pray with us. God, as we come before you, we just thank you for your word that gives us instruction, that helps us, that encourages us, that strengthens us. That God, as we continue to live this life with you, help us, God, to grow, to grow in a manner that you would have us to. Help us, God, to be the people you would have us to be. And God, if there's one here today who doesn't know you through your son, Jesus Christ, let this message speak to them through the power of your Holy Spirit. God, fix, form, and fashion whatever may be said in their heart to help them see their need to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And God, we'll give you praise for all that you do in our lives. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Now, as we approach the Apostle Paul's second letter to the believers in Thessalonica, we can immediately see how impressed the Apostle is with not just the the Apostle, but also his colleagues with this church. The strength a, a church needs is never more apparent than when it is facing persecution. The church at Thessalonica was being what one writer called fiercely persecuted. However, in spite of the persecution, it was standing fast for Jesus Christ. The Thessalonian believers stood as a model church for all other churches and even all churches today. They were a picture of what a church should be when it's being attacked or persecuted. You know, and we need to be honest with ourselves. When we think about Reedy Branch, when we think about our church and what it means to us, like most churches, we feel very good about ourselves when things are going well. But would things, how would things be if we were facing an intense or a fierce persecution? Would we begin to think like many 
many Christians do, that God was judging us. Because we know the Bible teaches us in 1 Peter 4 and 17 that it's time has come that judgment is to begin at the house of God. We know that, right? The Bible tells us time is at hand. And you know who's going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ first? The church. At any time, he could call us home and we will stand before him. It is thought by many Christians that suffering is a sign that God's just not pleased with us. And prosperity is a sign that that God is well pleased with us. And there are some who teach this lie. (laughs) The truth is, we can be right where God wants us to be. We can be in the center of his will. And everything around us falling apart. And everything around us can be going so great and we can be so far from the will of God that we don't even notice him speaking to us. Paul helps us to see that the true test of the strength of our church is our faithfulness in the midst of persecution. The church in Thessalonica... It was being attacked. It was being persecuted by both the world and what some called the religionists. In other words, the Judaizers. Those who were of the uh, Judaism um, religion. They were attacking them and, and they were ridiculed. They were mocked. They were cursed, ostracized. They were threatened and rejected. It's possible that some were facing physical attacks. Maybe some were even beaten. And it appears that possibly some were even martyred. And we, we would think this because of what Paul says in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. It is most likely when we look in the context of these two books that, that when he speaks of those who have fallen asleep, he's speaking of those who have been martyred for the sake of the gospel. So here they are facing this. This time in their lives. Now, this is a church that wasn't perfect by no means. It was a church that had its issues, like every church has. Y'all do know we have our issues, don't you? I'm glad we can disguise them. (laughs) I'm glad that we work on our issues. That's a better way of saying it, isn't it? We do work on our issues. I, I believe that. Uh, This church had issues. They were confused about the return of the Lord. It appears that some had even begun to believe that they were in the midst of the tribulation. Uh, And I can imagine that considering all the persecution that they they were experiencing. However, even with these issues, they were faced with the the ministers, their teachers, and their preachers. They remained faithful. They continued to teach and to preach the truth of God's word to the best that they understood. And they continued to comfort and to encourage the believers when they needed it most. And here at this present time, we are not facing the same persecution that the first century Christians face. However, we are facing persecution. 
persecution. And we don't need to turn a blind eye to the persecution that's going on right now in the United States. And listen, it's just started this past week. It's fixing to ramp up and it's going to get a whole lot worse. Right now, uh, just as we're beginning to see the evil, the true evil in this world. Take, for instance, the ruling this past week of Roe versus Wade, how it was overturned. And, and right now, those who believe the Bible, those who believe Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, are, are going to be ridiculed. We're being mocked. We're being cursed. We're going to be ostracized and threatened and even rejected. Those who believe that scripture, because the scripture says these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination. A proud look, God hates. A proud look, a lying tongue, God hates. A liar. Also, hands they shed innocent blood. And there's no one more innocent on the face of the earth than an unborn child. And God hates it when hands are set to destroy innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. You know it's a wicked thing for Planned Parenthood. It doesn't matter what side of the fence that you're on. For someone to say that a child at nine months means nothing. That it can be aborted so you can have a, a different child just because its gender was not what you wanted it to be. That is wickedness in this world. And they're in an uproar right now because some states are going to say no more can you have legal abortion where we stay you know we got well I'm going to stay off of politics now be careful who you vote for because you got a governor that falls right in this place I don't care what he does or what he proclaims to do can I say this for the Indian people for the Native Americans here, they listen. These politicians can come and they can present themselves before us. They can tell us how much they're fighting for us. They don't care for us. All they want is a vote. We need to be careful. We need to be careful that we're searching the Word of God whenever we go in the polls. Listen here, it says, feet that are swift to running to evil. And folks, it's been swift this week. It's been swift that they've been running. It's going to get worse. A false witness who speaks lies and every word they're saying is a lie. No, we have a choice. As a man and as women. We have a choice of the decision we make. And then there are consequences to those decisions. But we don't have the choice just because it's our body to shed innocent blood. We don't have that right to choose to shed innocent blood. Listen, he says here, a false witness who speaks lies. But listen, he also says, one who sows discord among the brethren. <laughs> oh, we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful. We've got to be careful that we're not falling into any of these things. 
Yes, we're, we're being persecuted, and it's just starting. It's going to get worse before it gets better. But every church needs ministers, teachers to remain faithful. We don't need to get caught up in arguments with this world. Instead, we must remain faithful to the work that God has called us to. No matter the circumstances around us, we need to be ministers in every church who will be faithful to preach the truth of God's word. We are in a time when our churches need to be strengthened. And churches will only be strengthened if those ministering the word of God whether it's in a pulpit, whether it's behind the classroom lectern, whether it's on the mission field, or whether it's leading churches in worship through song, that we're faithful to our call. It's apparent that the ministers in Thessalonica were doing their best to be faithful to teach and to lead those believers. Paul says that he was bound to thank God always for them as it is fitting. You know, in Paul's first letter, he said in 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, and 3, he says, we give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work in the, in the faith, labor of love and patience of hope to our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of, our, of God our Father. So here again in this second letter, Paul is commending the ministers and teachers for their faithfulness in the midst of the persecution they're facing. So now we have to ask ourselves this question. What is their faithfulness showing that testifies to the strength of this church? Let me state it this way. What is their faithfulness proving to the point of saying that this church should be a model for other churches? There's a couple of things right here in the text. And the first thing is the faithfulness produce It proves a growing faith. Faithfulness proves a growing faith. Uh, the Apostle Paul states, to the, states that the believers of Thessalonica were, uh, their faith grows exceedingly. The word exceedingly, it means to grow beyond measure, to, to grow beyond what is expected. It, what, what a glorious testimony. Imagine a church filled with believers, if you can imagine that, whose faith in Jesus Christ just explodes. That they continue to grow, their faith grows greater than you could ever imagine. You know what? You wouldn't have to worry about whether the pastor's doing his job because everybody else would be doing what they're supposed to do and the pastor would just need to focus on the preached word of God. <laughs> I thought you'd get a little quiet. Uh, but can you imagine that of how together we would be? How unified a church would be if every believer was growing in their faith. And for this reason, you know, here they are growing in their faith in the midst of fierce persecution. And Paul says we are bound. <laughs> we are bound to thank God always for you. The word bound here, it means compulsion or obligation. So Paul is saying I'm compelled or I am obligated to thank God for you because you're showing such a faith that proves to grow beyond measure. Imagine how a minister's heart would just rejoice 
when the people he's called to minister over, that every one of them, their faith was like the believers in Thessalonica, that they were continuing to grow. Now, I see that here. The faith of many continues to grow. And I'm glad to say, I can say that. You know, John Maxwell stated this. There are four levels to spiritual maturity. For believers in Christ, he lists them as this. Rebellion. He's speaking about believers. Rebellion. I'm going to do what I want regardless of what God says. How many of you heard that from a believer? A professing believer. I, 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 don't, I don't care what the Bible says. This is how I feel right now. I know I'll just ask God to forgive me later, but right now I just can't get past this. Uh, well, that rebellion is where their faith is at at the moment. Uh, or maybe, maybe they got beyond rebellion and they're at this conditional love. John Maxwell says, if God, that conditional love is defined as if God gives me what I want, then I'll give him what he wants. You know, that's progression. <laughs> But that's all you can say about it. But then he, he, he shares that there is a growing faith. And listen how he describes the growing faith. He says, I will give God what he wants with faith that God gives me what I need. Oh, that's growing. That's growing in our faith. And listen, as much as it is growing in our faith, I don't want us to stop there. Because there's a fourth level, and this fourth level is where we all should be striving for, which is called selfless worship. And John Maxwell describes it as this, I will give God what he wants regardless of any thought for myself. Because he is Lord and he is just worthy of my praise. You know, that's where we want to grow to, isn't it? We want a growing faith that grows to the point to where we don't even consider ourselves. All that we hunger, all that we thirst for is his will be done in our lives and we're searching to, to have righteousness in his kingdom that our glory that our rewards would be there and not here and because there we're going to give them to him we're going to place them right back at his feet to where whatever we do on earth we don't even want to tell others about we never let our left hand know what our right hand is doing we're just about doing God's work boy that's where I pray that every born again believer not just here, but across this United States would actually get to. I believe those who are in foreign countries who are facing the persecution, that they're actually in that place. But it's a place where we need to get to where it's selfless worship for us. You know, we, we have to decide for ourselves which one of these describes our heart right now. However, you may want to know how you can be sure that your faith is growing. We must first begin to ask, what do I truly believe about the Lord Jesus Christ? Have I believed upon him as my savior? You know, if we have,
have, then that's the beginning of our faith. And we've all been given a measure of faith. Romans 12 and 3 tells us that God has dealt each one a measure of faith. And that measure of faith is enough for anyone, any individual to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to save them from the penalty of their sin and take them to heaven to live with him for, for eternity. But our faith has to get beyond that little measure. It's got to grow because we're still living in this sin-cursed world. If all we're thinking about, well, I, I've done what I needed to do to get to heaven, and we don't care about how we live in this world, then we don't, our faith isn't growing. Our faith is to grow where we depend on him daily to meet our every need. It's trusting him with our lives as we continue to live in this world. It's being obedient to his word when it's not easy or not popular. It's standing with Christ with no one else, knowing that if we're standing with him, we're still standing with the majority. It's trusting him when, when we face our bend in the road. It's trusting him to provide when we've lost our job and we can't find another. It's our when our spouse walks out on us, when our children are rebelling. It's trusting him when we get the diagnosis that we weren't expecting and even in the midst of tragedy it's admitting that this is that my life is out of my control and, and I'm just going to trust the one who holds tomorrow in his hands that's the faith that we should be growing toward that's the faith that the believers in Thessalonica were displaying a person who grows in faith is a person who learns to depend upon Christ. More and more in every area of our lives. And our ministers must be faithful to preach, to teach, and to display a growing faith in order for believers to continue to display a growing faith in Christ. Folks, we live in a cold, dark world. We live in a cold, dark world. And we need a faith while we're living here that's growing. You know, as faithfulness proves a growing faith. There's something else in this text that faithfulness produces. And it's a glowing love. Now, faithfulness produces a glowing love. Right there in verse 3, we see that. You see that in the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. Their love for one another abounded toward each other. This was an answer to one of Paul's prayers that, to them that's found in 1 Thessalonians 3 and 12, which says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you. Paul... Paul was praying in his first letter that they would grow to love one another. Here in the second letter, he's acknowledging that that's taking place. And we must notice that their love for each other, that it grew. And it grew in the midst of their suffering. Their suffering not only, was, not only brought them closer to God, but it brought them closer to each other. Folks, that is the desired result that God wants in our lives whenever we're facing trials or any sort of suffering that comes our way. One thing I'm aware of is when we're in the midst of trouble, 
we don't have the time or the inclination. We don't have the energy to worry about what someone else is doing. Somebody should have said amen. I know when I've been in trouble times, it hasn't bothered me who come my way. It hasn't bothered me what anyone said because I'm focused on the trouble that I'm in. <laughs> you know what we become? We become appreciative. We become appreciative of anyone who pours themselves out to us. And when everyone is going through trouble at the same time, we will begin to worry about each other. I've, I've probably shared this with you before, but, you know, this is a unique church. Um, and we've brought in a lot of new faces in the last couple of years, but, but this is a unique church. I've never been anywhere where, well, I've never heard any pastor in conversation say that they call to check on their members and their members are worrying about their pastor. Preacher, just, just, I, you got a lot to do. Don't worry about me. And I hear that over and over and over. And you know what it does? It makes me worry about you more. <laughs> it, it, it really does because I'm just so grateful that you would care that much about my family, that you would care that much about where I'm where I've been and where I've got to go. And I mean, there's a time when you remember when I first come here and my dad was sick and he was on his bed and, and we were doing what we could do to take care of him in these last few days. And I went to the hospital to visit one of our members who had surgery for cancer and her words were to me, go home. You've got no business being here. You know, there was a lot of questions floating around in my mind. When I first come because of what was given up and the sacrifice my family was making. But it wasn't very long. In the, within two years, I had no doubt that the sacrifice was well worth it. When my father was, was on his deathbed, that you said, just stay with them. We'll be fine. And we'll be here when you get back. When my daughter was in, Ch in Duke for a month, just stay with her. We'll be here when you get back. There's so many times in my life that were, I was going through something, but somebody said, preacher, just take your time. You know, when we do that, when we, we hear that as preachers and Sunday school teachers and, and ministers within the church, we're so grateful that we, we keep you on our minds. I'm so glad that that's the testimony I get to share with other preachers. And it continues today. It wasn't just those first two years. 17 years later, it still happens. And I'm thankful for you. Because it's showing me a glowing love in this place. That's what they were experiencing in Thessalonica. But folks, let's not get too proud of ourselves. Because we can always get better. Me included. <laughs> yes. During the first three centuries of the church, it faced an unbelievable persecution. And during the persecution is when the church grew its greatest. 
It's then, I shared this Wednesday night, it's then when Christians demonstrated what being the church was really all about. It was the persecuted church who reached out to the sick. Usually when someone developed a disease, no one would assist them back then. They weren't willing to risk their own lives. <laughs> it's no wonder that the church grew tremendously because the church went out to minister to them. It was a time when the church demonstrated a, a growing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and a glowing love for one another. So what does it mean to have a glowing love for one another? Oh, we will begin to act like the family of God. When we have a glowing love for one another, we will find that it binds us together as a family. Our affection for each other will become deeper than what we could have ever anticipated. And, our, and we will do all we can to attempt to nourish and nurture one another. This glowing love will produce such a concern that, that we would have never imagined in our lives. We'll even miss those that we don't know very well when they're not around. This kind of glowing love will cause us to cherish, to comfort, to support, and to encourage one another regardless of our differences and regardless of our circumstances. This is the kind of love that the church in Thessalonica modeled. It was an abounding love. This was the very kind of love every believer should have for all other believers. This is the kind of love that Jesus was speaking about in John 13, 34 through 35. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I shared last week... That if every visitor who comes to this church leaves the way we left Louisiana last week, it'll be a testimony of just how strong our church really is. You know, their numbers were small. And their numbers hadn't got to where they were, were before COVID. And they were small then. But we, could, we left there knowing spiritually that's a strong church. Because they had love for one another. And they greatly appreciated us so that they poured their love out to us. Yes. <laughs> Paul boasted of the church in Thessalonica because they didn't stop being the church in the midst of their persecution. Instead, they displayed patience. They displayed faith that God would see them through whatever they had to go through. They displayed a love that only experiencing the love of Christ can motivate us to share. Oh, what a great testimony of this church. And this is the testimony I pray that we as a body of believers here at Reedy Branch would always have. That no matter what comes our way, we will trust our Lord and our Savior. That he will see us through whatever circumstances we face. And that we will be a body of believers who love one another 
in such a way that it pleases our Lord. We know what our mission statement is, don't we? That we are to be a body of believers who love the gospel, live the gospel, and share the gospel. This is the kind of love that we want to have. This is the kind of faith that we want to have. If we will remain faithful, we will see our faith in Jesus Christ continue to grow. As well as our love for each other will continue to grow. Outshining the darkness of this world. And ultimately, our church will become stronger. (laughs) Yes, I thank God for what he's doing in, in this church. I thank God for what he's doing in other churches. And I pray that we will always, always seek to grow in our faith and seek to grow in our love. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Unsaved, I want to say to you, if you will exercise the measure of faith the Lord has given you, he will save you from the penalty of your sin and he will empower you through the Holy Spirit to grow in your faith And to not only experience a love like no other, but also he will help you to love others like you never have before. I've said over and over that you don't know what loving your family is until you first experience the love of Christ. When you become awakened, to the truth of the love of Christ you'll see your family like you've never seen them before some of you may have grandchildren and thinking I can't love her anymore well if you'll experience the love of Christ give him your life and let him shine in you I guarantee you those grandchildren will be seen in a new light by even you would you today Exercise that faith, that measure of faith that he has given you. Exercise it to the point to where you ask him to be your Lord and Savior. And then see how he changes your life. They begin to sing this song, is there one today? Is there one today who's willing to say I'm ready to exercise my faith? I'm ready to receive this kind of love.